Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. It's interesting. You would think media would have focused on this dearth of, of state employees, you know, that you're struggling to keep them. You know, the, the health care plan is not what it was. The benefits are not what they were. And the salaries are, you know, difficult to compete with. And so there, there are these holes in the state budget. And so I thought it was just interesting to, to get their perspective. They've worked very closely with the legislature, with the treasurer's office. On, on, on addressing things, the state budget's doing quite well, as she even alluded to. The fiscal policies, the cut in taxes have made North Carolina a magnet for business and industry. And so the state is doing quite well. It's it's growing. That That's a good thing. It's also, you know, uh, prospering. And so we'll, we'll see how the budget turns out. But right now it's going to be up to the North Carolina House to come together and make things work. You want to get in on the conversation? It's 704-570-1110, One admission, my wife, former cabinet secretary in the McCoury administration and someone who's had a a, a lifetime of, of work in these things, strongly fiscally conservative, very disciplined in her approach to stuff like that. It was fascinating to see her work in three different state agencies to try to consolidate, reduce the footprint, bring down cost. It's not easy to do, but it, it takes a lot of work to streamline and make things simple. It's fascinating, you know, as, as someone who used to work at, 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 she worked in DPI of all places to streamline. And now DPI, I think it's got like five people that replaced her uh, in making, you know, it's spending twice the money, three times the money. So it, it's gone. It, it's not a very conservative place at all anymore than it was. Now, uh, wanted to mention something you I mentioned the dysfunctional marriage thing we have you would you would never stay with your spouse if you hated them as much as you hated the other political team uh, you you just wouldn't do that and we've lost the ability to kind of discuss stuff one of the other we have so many of these issues in our society where we really push the other side away it's not just politics we I mean you would have thought after electing a black president that race relations would would be kind of something of the past, kind of a relic. You remember when? But but now there's so much money to be made in hating. There's so much money to be made in hate that whether it's hating Trump or trying to stir up race, the, the media can't stand for us to actually get along. They really want to portray us as a, when, when Biden goes to a historically black college and, and says that white supremacy is the number one domestic threat in the country, with all of the other things that are going on, it's laughable but for the fact that it got repeated. If an untruth gets repeated enough, it becomes the reality, at least you know, from an Orwellian standpoint. You know, ignoring the border, there's a, there's a humanitarian crisis down there that was completely avoidable, created by this administration that doesn't want to acknowledge it. In fact, he kind of laughed it off. See, it wasn't as bad. Title 42 went away. It's not as much of a surge. It's still horrible. Laughing off, uh, looking weak on the international stage doesn't make the world safer. The economy's not doing that great. It's kind of floundering around. There's no clear sense of leadership at the top. And in the meantime, in cities and counties and states, the way the way that things are happening, the blue states are, are bleeding. They're hemorrhaging. But at the same time, even in cities in North Carolina, I mentioned the Mayberry Metropolis situation yesterday. But there's something called the donut effect, which the Financial Times has referred to. And I think this, you know about it. 
if you're if you're living in this area, if, you, if you're in Cornelius, Huntersville, Concord, Harrisburg, if you're in Gastonia, Belmont, Lake Wiley, Pineville, Indian Trail, any of these places in and around the Charlotte area, you're familiar with the donut effect because you're seeing the growth. These cities are these cities in the periphery, these communities in the periphery are doing fantastic, and downtown areas do okay. But post pandemic, the commercial real estate market not so good. The Federal Reserve's financial stability report last week called out the exposure of financial institutions to commercial real estate as one of the major threats to the U.S. economy. As the bursting of the bubble has only just begun, the Fed warned that since mortgages backed by office and downtown retail property tend to be about a third of CRE holdings, this could be a problem. As the dominoes fall, so may other in the financial system. For Charlotte, that could be a serious donut effect. But callers, you always come first. Wayne, Welcome to the show. Thank you for calling in. What's on your brain? Well, I've just been listening. Um, <clears throat> I was a state probation and parole officer in Mecklenburg County for eight years, um, late 90s to mid-2000s. Um, you have to have a four-year degree to be a state PO in North Carolina, which I do have a four-year degree. Um, the last Three years I was there, I was a high-risk officer, so I was wearing Kevlar, carrying a pistol, you know, CMPD radio, cuffs, the whole thing. Um, I left because I was making barely $30,000 after after eight years with a degree. In the prison system, right? Dangerous job. Yeah, so, so I was out on the street, you know, supervising the okay. vendors. Still, yeah, you were a parole officer. Sorry, you were a parole officer. Sorry. Yeah, but still. Parole, right. So, but I just thought I'd chime in because um, I'm living proof of I left because of the pay. And so, Wayne, see, see, what I hear, what I hear you saying, I, I, I see. I mean, I've seen this, you know, in some of the more rural areas where they do have these prisons. And people are those they usually put them in rural areas for two reasons one to keep them away from metro areas but two because it tends to be cheaper to operate and even in those areas like Columbus County or up in the northeast part of the state they're having trouble keeping people for the same reason it's it's pay it's benefits and and they're losing these people and and in your in your line of work it's not just you but the state troopers we're losing it's prison guards we're losing there's an attrition, and it's is. Would you say it's very well known? I mean, this sounds silly for me to ask that question, but I'm saying a lot of your contemporaries feel the same way. Well, I would. I forget how many POs there were during the time I was there. I think it was around 120, something like that. I would say half to three quarters of us had part time jobs just to to try to make ends meet. Would would having yeah. that you know do, do do you foresee going back if if it becomes better would you go back to that line of work? Um, you know I I didn't I didn't not like my job I, I enjoyed it um, but it's just I uh, my my wife was also a PO so together two college educated people barely making you know fifty five thousand and we started a family wow so. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I had have the pay been where I thought it should have been, or or I knew I would get to a, a a plateau at some point. Yeah, I would. I could see myself still doing it, but I had, to, ask, I had let, to step step away. Let me ask you a perspective question because we hear a lot about teachers all the time, and I know it probably makes your mind just 
get numb a little bit. Teachers work about 10 months out of the year, generally speaking, unless they're year round and then they get a lot of breaks, but they work a cumulative 10 months. Their starting salaries are, you know, in the, in, in the upper thirties. Um, and, and yet you're saying a four years, a degree wearing Kevlar every day, you're working 12 months out of the year and you're barely bringing in 30 grand. It, it sounds like, you know, you, you have the same kind of educational requirements and, and a lot more dangerous and the recruitment saying, hey, even with experience, you're barely getting over 30 grand. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was, like I said, I didn't leave because I didn't like the job. I just right. left to. You had to make more money. Uh, support my, yeah, to support my family. Wow. I mean, that was, okay. that was it. Well, Wayne, I appreciate you sharing that because, again, it's, uh, you know, you don't, <laughs> it's so many, so many people want to castigate state employees as being, you know, this, this, liberal group and they're not i mean they're like i said there's state patrolmen out there there's all sorts of people in law enforcement and plus the war on law enforcement this defund the police stuff that's been going on it kind of castigated everyone and threw them all into one area but uh i hope i hope they're fine i I don't know what the pay is now um because i've been gone almost 20 years um but but you know i don't know what i would be making if i were still there and, and okay. having the, the pay raises that we very rarely got the last three well, years. Wait, you were, you were in North we Carolina. That, that, that's when Democrats ran things. So you were there 20 years ago in North Carolina or South Carolina? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah, North, North Carolina. Char- okay. Mecklenburg County was my okay. county. Well, I appreciate the perspective. I know you're not alone with this, but it's got to be uh, frustrating. I know uh, several folks that have been on that line. I know some patrolmen that are, that are friends of mine that, uh, you know, they, I know with their job, it's it's a dangerous job. I, there's no way you could be a patrolman and not have a, a danger unless you're a desk jockey. But uh, thank you for the call, Wayne. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Um, and again, this is what they're wrestling with up there. The state budget's doing very well. The, the stewards of the state budget have done very well. But there's always problems and challenges with the state budget as they seek to to fill. And 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 this is if you're not in that world. I mean, if I remember hanging out the legislative building and 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 what you would see is just whoever had the loudest voice and you see groups that had undue influence, you would see the league of municipalities. It's the lobbying group for the, for the, the cities. They had one of the most powerful lobbying groups. So they're always getting some kind of hat tip to, to cities. And you find that the association of counties, another fairly, it's funny. It's led by a, uh, a guy from Brunswick County. Who's a, uh, cons- uh, anyway, a Republican, but it's still a very liberal organization. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Thank you for joining us, Chad. I'm sitting in for Pete Callender here at News Talk 1110-993. And, and I, was, I was saying to myself, I was like, you know, you wake up every morning, or at least most of you do, if you're not chagrined with life and not in the, the depressed world. Um, you know, at least you think in the morning you wake up, God, it's going to be a good day. You know, I can, I can make something happen today. It'll be different. And then you go through the day and somehow magically it passes. And the older you get, the faster it, fast, the faster it passes. And you're at night, you're like, man, I didn't quite. <laughs> it's just, it was a rough day. And then you're going to start the next day. You want to make sure you start the next day. It's going to be better tomorrow. And it, it, we're kind of that way 
with with America. You know, you're kind of that way with where the country is right now. We we know that America holds great promise. We know that our state does. We know, and we constantly get obsessed with our politicians, and we hold our politicians to a higher, a much higher standard than we hold our family and our and our spouses. And when they disappoint us, we're like, ah. Oh. Or you get so obsessed with one that you can't imagine supporting anyone else, and 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 then in so doing, they become fearful. And so instead of a bunch of leaders acting like leaders, leaders. You know, if we'd have had, if the political class of today were running things during World War II, we would never have won. They would never have taken the chances for the D-Day invasion or to to bomb Japan. They they would have been weak. The wars would have drug on for many more years, or we would have lost. You have to wonder would they have had the the wherewithal to really do and make the difficult decisions that it would have taken to win those wars. We can't even secure our border today. We've spent more time agonizing over the border because when one part of our political class doesn't care. In fact, you could say they want the border to be a failure. They want it to be open. They want it to just be porous. And then you have to wonder, what does that say about that class, about their desire for the country to succeed? You have to you you have to wonder. Do they have a desire for the kind? Again, it sounds like I'm just cascading one side. I'm doing exactly what I said at the beginning of the show. That you no, know, our side is right. Their side is wrong. Nobody nobody on our side's wrong. They're, we're spoiled children. We pander to our base, but we should be having these great discussions. We should be having these fantastic discussions about what works and what doesn't work. And we've got plenty of modern history to tell us what works. We know that lower taxes work and it creates more productivity. It's not trickle down. It's the truth. We know that when people are more responsible, they are more successful. When they have skin in the game, they they risk and, and they are responsible. Personal responsibility is a big deal, but we have an entire political class that says it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. It's someone else's race's fault. It's someone else's sexual proclivity's fault. It's 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 Christian's fault. They 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 they, they pander to the, the basest fears. And tear us apart when we know things that work. We know that giving parents choice works in education. But instead, we have old class that wants to blame, well, you know, public education would be better except for Republicans. Things of that nature. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about the Durham report. It's 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 kind of fascinating. If ever there was proof that that we are kind of in these times of political divorce, it's the results of the Durham report. There's no there's no pending charges from the Durham report, but it is an excoriation of what occurred. It's a historical document that tells us a lot about the way our government functioned in a time of of political, uh, during an election. If ever there was an election interference, it was our own government. And this is from the Washington Examiner. There's There's a hundred different pieces out there. Everyone's weighing in on this. Even Jake Tapper from CNN said it was a horrific thing. It basically would that Trump was right about that they were spying on it. Trump was correct. There was no Russian collusion. Adam Schiff said he had plenty of evidence. He didn't. He should have to, to resign. I mean, it's just the Adam Schiff scenario is just an embarrassment. But this is from the Washington Examiner, and, it, and it's just uh, of the pieces I've read, I think it's the one or one of the ones that's just it, it's from their entire editorial staff. And it's asserting that the FBI has been fatally exposed on this thing. In fact, the title of it is that their integrity has been fatally compromised. The FBI allowed itself to be weaponized for political purposes during the 2016 presidential election. 
This is the conclusion of John Durham's damning final report released yesterday evening. It is a so- sobering conclusion, one strongly supported by facts in a 306-page report and one that should prompt lawmakers from both parties, both parties, to clean house at what is supposed to be the nation's premier bastion of law enforcement, not law bending or breaking. The FBI's 2016 investigation into alleged collusion between Donald Trump's presidential campaign and Russia began with a single, unverified account of a months-old conversation in a bar with an unpaid foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. Now think about that. All those years, all of that, that's where it started. A single, unverified account of a months-old conversation in a bar. Without even speaking to the primary source of the information and a departure from FBI standards, a full investigation was opened, despite the FBI having no information that anyone from the Trump campaign had ever been in contact with Russian intelligence officials. What the U.S. intelligence community did learn in the months after the FBI started spying on Trump was that Hillary Clinton's campaign had hatched its own plan to create a fake scandal tying Trump to Russian President Vladimir Putin and Russian hackers who compromised the Democrat National Committee's computers. These reports that the Clinton campaign was spreading lies about Trump colluding with Russia were understood to be so credible. And remember, she was the Secretary of State at one time during this. And important that then-CIA Director John Brennan briefed President Barack Obama about them in August of 2016. In other words, Clinton's disinformation operation was suspected months before the election in 2016. The Clinton disinformation plan, manifested in the Steele dossier, succeeded in providing the FBI the disinformation it needed to secure a warrant to target the Trump campaign from a federal court, even after the FBI belatedly tried and failed to verify the disinformation in the Steele dossier. FBI officials continued to use falsehoods and filings to the federal court overseeing the FBI spying on the Clinton campaign. The FBI underling responsible for making those filings was convicted of intentionally falsifying a document, but he only got a slap on the wrist and none of his superiors were held accountable. Our investigation revealed the the report says that senior FBI personnel displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor towards the information that they received, especially from politically affiliated persons and entities. In light of the foregoing, there is a continuing need for the FBI and the Department of Justice to recognize that lack of analytical rigor, apparent confirmation bias, and an overwillingness to rely on information from individuals connected to political opponents caused investigations to fail to adequately consider alternative hypotheses and to act without appropriate objectivity. In other words, the entire FBI acted as a political entity, at least from a leadership and investigation standpoint. The Durham report does not recommend any new rules or reforms. The FBI has the proper guidelines in place. It's just that, in this case, some FBI personnel chose not to follow the rules. The details in the report have gravely injured the supposedly nonpartisan integrity of the FBI. Representative Jim Jordan, uh, Republican from Ohio, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, has already called on Durham to come and testify. The Durham report exposes a massive scandal in the intelligence and law enforcement structure. There needs to be a thorough follow-up and public airing by Congress. There must be significant changes in leadership if the organization is to regain any credibility. It will take years and decisive action to repair the enormous damage done by a deep state committed to partisan action in favor of the Democrats. All of that. Now, I think that the Durham report undermining years of news media every night about Russia collusion. Now, imagine if you were, even if you can't stand Donald Trump, Imagine you're him, and you know it's not true. 
and you're trying to lead the most powerful nation on the planet, while Operation Crossfire Hurricane was put forth by your defeated political opponent to undermine you every day, to spend millions of dollars going after you and not having any proof. Now, add to that. So that's in, and, and many of us knew that that wasn't true. They knew that there was no Russian collusion. We knew that. There were plenty of people that knew that. Plenty of people telling us that. But the media didn't stop and question. What they did was they liked one team so much and hated the other that they just ate whatever was spoon-fed to them. If you were in the media, in the nationwide media, you should be angry. At least Jake Tapper had the decency to say this is a problem. But the rest of the CNN colleagues, they're not. MSNBC and the rest of them are not. They were just wrong. And, and when you add to it what happened during the pandemic, Americans, we, we are by nature suspicious of authority. We were designed as a country to be suspicious of authority. The entire creation of the country was based on a lack of distrust in organized religion and the empire of Great Britain at the time to go our own way, to question authority. So we already had that built in, and then we have five years between the pandemic and the the crossfire hurricane stuff, Russia, 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 we have no reason to believe in the integrity of institutions we once did. The World Health Organization, the CDC, the FBI, the CIA, all the intel officials who signed that stupid letter. That's the shame. We have to, at some point, come together as two part of the two-party system and, and begin to reconstruct some kind of integrity because it doesn't matter over the long haul. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Before we went to the break, it was talking about the need for us to trust these agencies. It does It does matter, trusting your local government, your law enforcement. It's okay to disagree, and it's okay to get upset, and that's, that's normal. In the course of human endeavor, we should. We're Americans. We're suspicious of government. We should. We're not trusters of government. We question it. That's good. But during COVID, we learned that questioning government was bad. We were told that if you're questioning these policies, somehow that's bad because mankind's at stake and we need to not question things. But it did not change the nature of being American. So we did. And we found out that a lot of what we believed was true was true. The the World Health Organization lied. The World Health Organization did not scrutinize China. The the CDC pushed forward things and policies that weren't scientific. We find now that the FBI, the CIA, Intel officials have, have lied to us. The, you know, we, we, we learned it early on when the whole weapons of mass destruction thing was, was sold to us years ago. We learned that we should question. But we've had five, six years of being suppressed and told not to. And now there's a responsibility by those in charge of those agencies to restore that trust to come clean about what they screwed up, how they screwed up, and the ways in which they're going to restore the trust of the American people. They need to. Our state government does it. Our state government, in in many ways, I think that, although Health and Human Services, I think that we're going to look back on Governor Cooper's lockdown policies. But you know what? We're able to do that. We know now that those policies were wrong. We know that he was wrong. Now, he hasn't come forward and admitted it, 
We've got years of education lost across the state by kids, and we've got an administ- I mean, a, a chief administrator in, in, in our governor that is completely on board with Biden-Harris. But by and large, our agencies, we can disagree with, but we, we, we have some degree of trust in them. When a highway patrolman is on the road, you, you tend to want to trust that. You, you know they're putting their life on the line. We need to trust them. And to that end, it's a shame that we're now finding that more and more of our scientific journals can't be trusted. We, we've surrendered scientific integrity for wokeism. We, we've, we're stopping gender studies because we want to tell people there's more than two genders. We're stopping and, 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 and stopping medical research because we don't want to recognize the difference between XX chromosomes and XY chromosomes. And this is from semaphore.com. About a third of studies published in neuroscience journals and about 24% in medical journals are made up or plagiarized, according to a new paper. The research, referred to as a preprint, meaning hasn't been peer-reviewed, looked at 5,000 published papers as first reported by science. Using a simple automated detection system, the researchers looked at two telltale signs, whether an author was registered with a personal rather than institutional email address, and if the author listed their affiliation as a hospital. The papers flagged as potentially fake were then checked by humans. About 1,500 of the papers were likely fraudulent, the researchers concluded. Academic careers are published or perished. If scientists don't publish lots of widely cited studies, they don't progress. They're therefore incentivized to get their names on as many published papers as possible and to make sure those studies get citations, not to find absolute or true facts. The paper mill industry has arisen as a result of that incentive. But it's just one way in which academics can boost their records. Some scientists repeatedly cite their own earlier papers, even if they have no relevance. There are also citation rings, quote, unquote, of scientists who all agree to cite each other's papers regardless of relevance. An undeserved authorship in which scientists get their names on papers they didn't write, either by paying for it or by mutual agreement. All of those practices artificially boost the scientist's citation statistics. That's kind of staggering, isn't it? It's fraudulent. Editors at one journal walked out recently over unethical publishing fees, and the demand for positive results incentivizes scientists to hack the data until they find something. Those are deep systemic problems within science. But outright fraud, you'd think, should be easy to fix if detected, and yet the scientific community ignores it, undermining the entirety of science. If a large percentage of studies are fake, how can we trust the progress? Greater transparency, including full publication of data and code as standard for all papers would be a start, but ultimately the incentive structure of science has to change. True. Even on climate stuff. I mean, for years, if you looked at someone like Richard Lindsay from MIT, his research was shunned. It, it would not get funding the same way others. Pat Michaels, who's now deceased from University of Virginia, did some remarkable work. There's some great scientists that are looking, looking for the truth of weather and science and climate, but they're shunned because they didn't come to the same conclusion Al Gore did. That if you ever want to see something that, that doesn't stand the test of time, go back and look at Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. Just go back and watch it. Rent it. I don't want you to rent it. Hopefully you can find it somewhere. But go watch it. He got a, he got a Nobel Peace Prize for that. Go watch it and see if any of it came true. Because none of it did. We accepted it. And we've rolled the dice, and so many policies are being written without full scientific rigor on what the implications are and how much sacrifice we should make for it. That's important. 
And 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 to add to that, what we started kind of the show with is this this anxiety that we put in our children, we put in our kids and young folks. We, we filled their heads full of anxiety. Don't have kids because it'll hurt the planet. We filled their heads full of instead of hope and optimism and looking forward and solving problems. That's what we do. We humans alter the environment everywhere we go. We do it to help us live. We're hairless. We don't do well in any environment on the planet, tropical or otherwise. Too many bugs in one, too many diseases, too damn cold everywhere else. We can solve problems. We're better than this, and we need to start being stronger. Folks, have a fantastic day. Have a fantastic rest of your week. Pete will be back in the captain's chair tomorrow, and do treat him as kindly as you do me. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day.